Hey, thanks, Stephanie. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I um, mean, this is just a great time where we can come together and really live out what it looks like to be the body of Christ. So the past few weeks, we have been in a series going through the book of First Peter, and we've been looking at, as Christians, how do we respond to a very uncertain world? And the theme of Peter really is this idea that as Christians, whether we're going through hard times or not, <laughs> specifically the Christians that are reading this letter were, our response to the world should be be birthed out of a joy that is beyond words because of who Jesus Christ is. And so for us, we've really wanted to try to dig into how can we be a people who model and reflect a joy that cannot be described in words because of who Jesus is. And so this week, we're going to shift the lens of that focus a little bit. The first four weeks, Peter really did drill down on how we as individuals respond to uncertainty. We looked at who we are in Jesus. We looked at who he's called us to be last week. We looked at what it looks like to submit to the government. So if you weren't here, I know you're bummed that you missed that one. You can check it out online. Um, this week, we're going to shift the lens just a little bit to what it looks like for us as a community to respond to an uncertain world. And so I say that, and there's a mixed, mixed, mixed spectrum of reactions to the idea of community in church. For some people, you're like, yes, you're an extrovert, right? You're like, I love community. Where are the people? Can we actually just go back to the greeting and I can talk to some more people? I don't know. Others of us, maybe there's a little bit of uncertainty. Um, we haven't been in church a long time and we hear community. It feels a little like culty, like is the Kool-Aid next? What's, I don't know about community. Others of us, unfortunately, have had bad experiences with church community. And so we hear community and there's a little bit of cynicism and feeling of rejection and reminders of when there's maybe been abusive actions within a community that was supposed to be representing Christ. And so we're not super amped to talk about community. But listen, it's key that we do that because if we wanna be a people that can step into uncertainty with joy, that's only going to happen if we do it together. The way that God has designed us to work is that we work in concert with one another as one body because we all have different gifts. We all have different perspectives. We're a diverse group of people. And if we don't have each other, it's going to be easy for us to fall into all sorts of ways to get off track. And so even as we've been going through the series, a lot of us have wrestled with this idea of how to step into uncertainty. And I wonder, I wonder if sometimes that wrestle has been because we've tried to step into it by ourselves. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter. We are going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 8. Here's really the big idea that we want to zoom in on today is that the way that we can step into uncertainty is through Christ-shaped community. Really, it's this idea that a Christ-shaped community is the anchor for us in an uncertain world. That's the big idea. <clears throat> a Christ-shaped community is our anchor in an uncertain world. So what does a Christ-shaped community look like? How does that happen? How do we avoid some of the traps that have caused communities to be hurtful and, and not be the functional body of Christ that loves people? Let's, let's pick it up and read. Peter says, finally, <clears throat> all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So let's chat about that for a second because we see that and our eyes can perk. What does it mean, bless so that you can obtain a blessing? Is this like, is this investing? Like if I bless, and it's not exactly the idea behind that. Grammatically, another way to say that would be bless because of the blessing you've already inherited. 
He's communicating this idea that because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we reflect that in how we respond. And so this is a really beautiful picture because he starts by giving us a picture of what a Christ-shaped community is made of. It kind of goes back to some of our fear around community, right? Well, I've been in community before and I felt rejected or I've been in community and I was betrayed. I've, I've been in a community that was just dysfunctional and people were not kind. And so when that happens, it's because we've lost sight of what a Christ-shaped community is made of. And he reminds us here, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a, t- a tender heart, and a humble mind. <clears throat> Who doesn't want to be a part of that community? Who of us does not want to go into a place where there are people that are going the same direction that we are, that value what we value, that hold us up and encourage us on our way? We, we want to be in a place that is marked by humility and tender hearts and brotherly love because that is a gap in the culture that we live in today. None of those are values that as a culture we hold up especially well, right? And so how can we be a community that reflects this? If this is what we're made of, why is this so hard? And I'll tell you, I think it's because we don't spend a lot of time developing it. This doesn't just have, like humility never happens on accident right? Tenderheartedness never happens on accident. It's intentional. And so if we want to be a community that looks like this, we have to be intentional in developing some of these practices. Let me just, let me ask you, and I think we understand this in a lot of other areas, but sometimes there's a disconnect between how we understand this spiritually. I want you to think about the values that you want to embody and what you want to accomplish. All of that is guided by how you develop those things, right? And so, for example, if you want to be good at a sport, like if that's a goal for you, you spend time practicing, right? And like we do this with our kids. We'll send them to camps and one-on-one training and we'll do practice time so that they can develop these skills to embody a characteristic, right? If you want to, I was, I was riding um, bikes with one of our elder candidates, Peter, yesterday, which is a huge mistake. He's in much better shape than me. Um, he's training for a triathlon. Nobody shows up and runs a triathlon cold, just not something you do. You develop that characteristic. If you're a musician, you spend time working on your craft as a musician. If you're an artist, you practice art. If finance is important to you, you're developing your financial acumen, right? Like we're a culture that understands development. It's a cottage industry. Regardless of where you look, we have people that make a lot of money developing these strengths and gifts and characteristics that people want to embody. And so as a community at RCC, we want to be a community that embodies this Christ-shaped nature. We want to be people that are tenderhearted and sympathetic and humble, that have brotherly love for one another. And so we want to develop those characteristics that God has given us, right? We want to be a people that spend time forming ourselves spiritually, And like I said, this is so intuitive for us in all of these other arenas that we do life in. It's funny that sometimes there's a spiritual disconnect. We just kind of want to show up and hope that we get there. And one of the ways that God works to form these characteristics in a community is through spiritual disciplines. And so when we have opportunities to develop spiritual community, it's not just because we're bored and we need stuff to do during the week, right? It's not because this is a pyramid scheme and we want you to invite two people to your small group and they have, like, that's not why we do that. The reason that we do small groups is because we need to practice forming these disciplines and it happens together. We will have a very difficult time developing and growing in our love for one another if we don't spend time together. It's just hard to love people you don't spend time with, man. Like it is hard to develop humility when we don't have people to help show us where we aren't humble. 
It's hard for us to have tender hearts when we live in isolation. And so we practice this when we get called into community. We want you to be in groups because it's a place where as a body, we form and strengthen these spiritual gifts and disciplines that we've been entrusted with, right? And so we say, hey, let's do life together. We form some of these characteristics here on Sunday morning. But if this is all we're doing, then we're missing out on a bigger picture. And so my question for you is, where are you developing these spiritual characteristics? When we have equipping classes, when we ask you to serve, we're not asking you to serve because we just like have a state mandate. Now we do have state mandates and we wanna provide a safe environment. That's not why we do it though. The heart behind calling you into service is not to check boxes. It's because we have to be intentional in developing our gifts and our time to love the people that God's entrusted with us. And so as a church, we wanna be passionate about forming unity and sympathy and humility and tender hearts because we want this to be a community that anchors us in the joy of Christ in the middle of an uncertain world. That's not gonna happen by accident. This is throughout the New Testament. The New Testament authors and the apostles call us to strive to grow in our faith. And it's hard work. But think about all the hard work we put in. Man, like you'll put in hard work at the gym, right? Like you'll put in hard work in the music arena or the basketball court, or I guess maybe tennis here, um, whatever, right? You'll put in the hard work because you want to get better at it. It's no different with our spiritual practices. If we want to get better at these things, we've got to put ourselves in places that we practice them. So as a church, when we call you to do these types of environments, it's because we want to be a church that reflects and forms these practices. So, so where's that happening for us right now? And some of us are like, man, it's summer, like leave me alone. Okay, that's great because in a couple of weeks, we're really gonna start to walk into some of these practices. We have Vision Sunday coming up and we're gonna be a community in the next year. Our vision's really simple. It's we wanna be a people that pray like our lives depend on it. And so we're gonna call you into some of these formational practices because it's going to enhance the type of community that God's called us to be. And so we're gonna practice this together. We wanna form this Christ-shaped community in our practices and our souls. And so listen, if this is what a Christ-shaped community is made of, how do we know it's working? This is one of the hardest, I think, aspects of doing ministry because there's just some arenas that you go into and you can look at things and you know black and white is my organization doing well. Uh, ministry is a little bit difficult. Like, how do we know that we're doing this? How do we know if we're growing in love and a tender heart? Like, how, do, how do you measure that? How do you measure spiritual growth? Um, numbers. Now, listen, um, Jim Jones had really good numbers, and that is definitely not the target that we're shooting for, right? Like just numeric growth alone, not necessarily indicative of spiritual growth and maturity. And so it's not really a trustworthy metric, right? What about giving? Well, that's not really a trustworthy metric. How do, what, how do we know if we're growing spiritually? He's gonna go on here in this next section and we're gonna see how a Christ-shaped community acts. What does it look like? If this is what it's made of, what does a Christ-shaped community act like? Let's go on in verse 10. He says, for, he says, whoever, and he's quoting Psalm 34 here. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and for the ears of the Lord are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
He paints a picture of what people look like who are pursuing God's will for their life. And I love the first place that he calls them. Do you see it here? In verse 11, and excuse me, in verse 10, it says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Do you wanna know how you're doing spiritually? How are you talking? What, what, what is your mouth doing? Over and over and over again in scripture, we see that the mouth is an overflow of our heart. Like what you say, you can't manipulate your words, right? Like at the end of the day, when you look back and see what have I said, how have you been talking? Like you can't fake that. It's just going to reveal who you are. James talks about this. The book of James says your tongue is like the rudder on a giant ship. It can be like a small spark that starts a forest fire or you can use it to praise God. Our mouth is a really good indicator of how we're doing spiritually. So when we think about being a Christ-shaped community, here, here's my question. What are your words revealing about the state of your heart? And we know this intuitively. Do you remember middle school? Some of you guys are like, I'm in it right now. Like, I'm, we're, we're praying with you. Um, do you remember when you would go up in the lunch table, like the anxiety that you would feel? Like, do I want to sit here? You get up, are they talking about me? What am I wearing? Like, we are so attuned to communities being safe or unsafe based on how people talk. Like, we know this. It's hardwired in our souls as people. But we don't always pay attention to our own mouths as much as we do the mouths of the people around us. And so scripture is really clear. If, if you want to be somebody that's reflecting who Christ has called you to be, keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from deceit. Have an awareness of what we're saying. How do we talk about people when we're frustrated with them? How do we, how do we share our, our prayer concerns? Right, like where is that happening? How, how do we hold confidence when people are vulnerable with us? Are we safe as a community? When people are hurting and broken and the world's uncertain, one of the first questions they're gonna ask when they engage us is, is this a safe place? Am I gonna be cared about and loved and supported? Am I going to feel the love of Jesus Christ from these people? And one of the first ways that they're gonna see if that's happening or not is, is how we speak. Um, and this is honestly sort of a challenge for me. I've talked a lot since I was a small child. Maybe that's surprising to you. I don't know. Uh, I've just always been a bit of a talker. And I've always, um, growing up, kind of had, um, so on the fight or flight spectrum, I'm more fight than flight. And as a kid, I kind of grew up um, broken home, single mom, great mom, um, single mom. And just kind of in the aftermath of a lot of that, had a lot of pent up anger and aggression, maybe some rough edges, you would call it. And so for me, coming out of a background where I I felt like there was some systemic rejection that I experienced. I tended to enter spaces with my walls up a little bit. And one of the ways that I would kind of keep people at a distance and kind of reject them before they would reject me is I just got really good at sarcasm um, and cutting words. Because if I could just do that first, I could kind of set the tone for how the relationship was going to go just in case you're not safe. And so for me, even to this day, when I'm stressed, feeling uncertain, I can tend to reflex to sarcasm a little bit. Not even trying to be mean, it just happens. Guess how that feels to the people around me as I'm trying to lead them in ministry or parent my kids. That doesn't make me seem like a safe person. So even in my own life, I have to be very, very careful of how I'm joking, of who I'm joking with, of what that looks like. Like I, I played a lot of hockey growing up and just the dressing room environment of a hockey team is very, very different than um, the fruits of the spirit. Like they don't line up. And so... <laughs> So just the, the way that you talk is just you're always chirping people and finding funny ways to, to be cutting. And so I've really had to be careful to unlearn some of that when I'm under stress. Sarcasm is not a love language. 
Like you hear people joke about that. It's just, it's not a spiritual gift. We don't want to be people who reflex to make fun of and cut, even in jest. And I'm not, look, it, sometimes it's gonna happen and it's fine. Like I'm not, this is not a judgment statement on that. This is simply allowing scripture to be a bit of a guide for us that what our mouths and lips are saying are going to affect the spiritual direction of our behavior. So how are we doing as a Christ-shaped community? Well, man, do you feel safe to be honest in your small group? Do, do, do you feel safe to be vulnerable with the people around you? Do people feel safe to be vulnerable around you? What would your words over the last, you know, 48 hours reveal about how you love people? These are just good metrics for us to check. It's like an oil light on our car. They're going to tell us something. Because look at what he says after. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We all want that. Every one of us would say, we want to turn away from evil and seek good. It's interesting that he talks about what we say before he talks about what we do. Right? Because generally your trajectory of your actions is going to trail the trajectory of your words. And so we want to be very, very aware of how we speak because what a Christ-shaped community looks like is going to be readily seen in how we speak. Are we honest? Are we kind? Are we caring? Are we safe? One of the ways that we will bring uncertainty into submission to the joy that we have in Jesus Christ is through being a community that builds up and encourages one another with our words. Man, this is good news because we strive to be that and we reflect that so well here. This is not something that I think we have a deficit in. This is something that we can celebrate and magnify and be attentive to, that we can really be a community that pours into people with the way that we speak. And so scripture says, listen, a Christ-shaped community looks caring. You're gonna know who they are by how they talk. And right now, people talk all the time, right? And we have new ways to talk. We talk on Twitter, we talk on Facebook, we talk on Instagram, we talk on TikTok. There's probably some stuff I don't even know about that we're talking on now. I'm just at that age. I'm like, I've never heard of that. Um, we talk all the time. We have so many platforms to be a powerful representation of who God's called us to be with our words. And so he's building on this because he says, listen, this is what a Christ-shaped community is shaped like. This is how a Christ-shaped community behaves. Now let's see what happens when a Christ-shaped community suffers because the people he's writing to are in the midst of suffering. He says, now, who is there to harm you? This is verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you for doing good may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will, than for doing evil." So he says, listen, when you suffer, this is what this should look like. And the reason that this builds is because he actually gives us kind of a cool little cue in here for what happens when we suffer. When a Christ-shaped community suffers, what we're zealous for is going to be revealed. You'll notice right at the beginning, he says, if you're zealous for good, you have nothing to fear. Why does he say that? Because if you're zealous for what is good, the things of God, there's nothing that can hurt or take that away from you. Paul talks about this, right? He says, to live is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Basically, if I live, that's great. I'm going to preach Jesus. If I die, that's great. I'm going to go to heaven. And it's, it's almost like this redeemed stoicism of it doesn't matter what happens to me. Because of who Jesus is, I can't lose. 
And Peter here is reminding these people if they're zealous for what's good, they have nothing to fear. They can be persecuted, but still have the joy of eternity in Jesus Christ. They can suffer on, on, on earth, but it doesn't matter because they understand that's not their home. He said, that's true if you're zealous for what is good. If you're not zealous for what's good, you have a lot to fear because that can be taken away from you. Think about this. You'll always suffer for what you value, right? And so a lot of times suffering reveals what we value. Um, so this is like low level suffering, but if you know me, I'm an impatient person. So it was high level for me. When Kaylee and I started dating, I was living in um, downtown Dallas in the Deep Ellum area. And she was in Arlington at the University of Texas at Arlington. So when I would wanna go see her, I had, to, um, I had to do something. I couldn't just like, that's not down the street. I had to drive out of the marquee on Gaston across from Greg's apartment and um, get in my car and get on what's called Highway 30. Two things are happening in your car on Highway 30 in Dallas. You're either going 115 miles an hour to keep up with traffic or you're in park for three hours. Like there's no in between. You were usually in park for two hours. So a, a drive that should have taken me 15 minutes to see Kaylee actually would take me about an hour and a half. Um, I was making something like $4 an hour as an intern in seminary. And so the gas was expensive. It was an effort to go and see her. Why did I put up with that? Because I wanted to go see her. No one would have been like, well, if you don't like to drive, why don't you just date a girl that lives closer? Like, that's terrible advice, right? <laughs> that makes no sense to us. Because we understand that we're gonna suffer for what we value. Of course it makes sense to get in the car and wait. This is a girl I really loved and wanted to marry. Like, of course I'm gonna do that. So let's, let's apply that as a community to when we suffer for the gospel. Because we have this passion and zealous love for the things of God, hey, if we suffer, that's okay because it's worth it. If as we advance the gospel of Jesus, we're ostracized or made fun of or have less money or have less time, it's worth it because we see the kingdom of God expanding. Not because we're trying to build a brand of a church, not because we're trying to be really good church people. Like, thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore culturally. We can actually just be zealous for the Lord. But because we're zealous for what is good, we're willing to suffer. Because we understand nothing can take away the goodness of God as expressed through his kingdom. Nothing can take that away from us. What happens though when we suffer sometimes, and this is a good thing even though it's painful, is some of our maybe ulterior motives or, or idols kind of get revealed because we suffer and we start to freak out because we realize we're gonna lose something. You know, maybe we are gonna lose some of the financial security that we've really depended on for the sake of the gospel because we've been generous and, and helped somebody in need. Maybe we're gonna lose some social status because of how we choose to spend our time, right? Maybe, maybe we're gonna lose some friends even because we just aren't gonna participate in some of the activities that they participate. Not that we're gonna be rude or judgmental towards them. Maybe, hey, that's just not for me. Maybe because of how we talk about sexuality and marriage. Maybe because of how we just even talk about Jesus, we're gonna suffer a little bit. And so as that happens, it's like, oh, I care more about being accepted by people than I thought. Oh, I, ooh, I don't really like this feeling of losing the worldly definition of success and achievement as much as that's kind of maybe, that's kind of maybe more important to me than I realize. Ow, that, that kind of hurts. And suffering has this way of exposing what we truly are zealous for, right? And so the good news of the gospel is as some of those ulterior motives or, or maybe ways that we wanna use God to get what we think we really want get exposed through the forgiveness and mercy that was won for us in Jesus Christ, God says, it's okay, come on, I have better for you. I have better for you. 
you can experience the goodness of Jesus Christ and have your heart shaped and formed where you have this increased love and you're zealous for his kingdom in a way that you weren't before. That's the goodness of God is when those idols get exposed, we don't have to hide or we don't have to run. We don't have to fear rejection. We actually have a God who says, it's okay, I, I died for that. Come on, let me give you better. Let me give you better. And we have this experience as Christians when we repent of putting down what we were holding on to for the exchange of what God has that's better. And so listen, my question for you is, how, how, how do you feel like you're doing? How do you feel like you're doing in community? Is it still scary? Like I understand it's scary. Is it scary? Um, is it something that you're still a little bit cynical about? <clears throat> well, so if it is, let's, let's talk a little bit. Um, how are you developing those characteristics that he talked about? What we're made of? How are you developing humility and a brotherly love and unity and, and, and affection? Where are you putting yourself in places where that's gonna be developed? I would even say maybe adjacent to that, where are you doing that for, for our children, right? Like um, this is just a quick aside, but think about how much time um, I was with Sawyer doing like some indoor soccer training stuff. It was very cool. But I was like, man, we spend so much time and money on, on our kids, on their academics, on their athletics and their attitude. Are we also spending time developing their spirituality? And you're like, man, I don't have kids. I have good news for you. We're all one body. And so when we have children's ministry, say, hey, we need people to serve in kids' ministry. It's because we want to be a church that's passionate about shaping their souls to have a zealousy for Jesus Christ. And, and we get to help them do that. And so, man, we love our children here. We want to value and hold them up, and we want to form their little hearts, but we need you to do it with us. And so just as an aside, we want to be a community that's also taking seriously how we shape our kids, how we shape our students, Right? And so we're calling you to join us as we do that. I mean, for some of us, it's like, have we forgotten maybe what a Christ-shaped community acts like? Are there ways when you go, okay, what is my mouth saying? Are there ways that maybe I need to adjust that? And maybe for others of us, we're like, man, what am I really zealous for? Like, what am I willing to suffer for and why? And, and am I maybe zealous for the wrong things? And some of the fear and anxiety I have in uncertainty right now is because I'm really hanging on to some stuff that's a functional idol for me. Right? And so as we examine our hearts, I'm going to call us to celebrate communion because as we examine our hearts, we can literally taste and hold these reminders of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That as we seek to be a community that just radically and gleefully loves the people that God has brought to us, that we don't do it on our own strength or our own effort. We do it because we have been made a new creation in Jesus Christ through his body being broken and his blood being spilled. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been given a new life and a new hope and a new joy. And so we can go and we can be zealous for the things of God because he's put a new spirit in us. He's put his spirit in us. And so as we continue to be a community of people that seeks to look like Jesus to the world, let's do that today out of a posture of celebration and out of a posture for a love of our Father and a love for one another. Uh, man, as we prepare to do that, let me pray for us as we approach the table. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've called us to be more than just a people that gathers on Sunday. You've called us to be a community that loves you and loves one another. God, as we seek to be a community that is shaped like you, Show us where we need to develop some of these characteristics. Show us how we can get plugged into a small group or to serve or maybe to be just even in a prayer group, wherever that is. Show us those places. Make it obvious to us. 
God, help us to see just what our words reflect about our hearts. Um, Help our words to reflect the goodness of who you are. God, finally, just show us what we're zealous for and where we're zealous for anything other than you and your kingdom. Help us to repent of that and to trust you enough to put those fake idols down and follow you into the life that you've called us to regardless of the cost because we know that it's worth it. God, help us to be a people that are marked by our joy and our love and our grace that are lights in the world so that people can come to know who you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.